everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this beautiful day in D.C. Got a great show today. Back in the day, she was a financial consultant baking for fun. And then somebody told Chef Tom Calicchio that Umber Ahmad was a great baker. And he asked for a taste, and he must have liked it because she became the first member of his Colicchio Discoveries group. She opened her bakery, Mazadar, in New York, and now she's referred to as New York's busiest baker, and she's got a new location on the Capitol Riverfront, so she's likely to be D.C.'s busiest baker shortly, too. She'll be joining us soon. Uh, Chef Paul Yellen, who's known as the Rum Chef, uh, he's best known, really, for being the owner and head chef at Cane Rum Bar in Charleston, is going to be on with us. He describes himself as a rum drinker with a cooking problem. Interesting. But he's brought Caribbean food, culture, and rum to the world stage, and we're going to be talking to him shortly. Uh, Andrew Darnell is the owner and driving force behind Smokecraft Modern Barbecue. Uh, he's an award-winning um, pitmaster, and so his restaurant is a big award winner there in Clarendon, and we're going to hear from him of how he and his team push the boundaries of barbecue. And one of our favorite folks, Susan Marenko, is going to be back on she is a, a student of the ice cream variety, and her ice creams are unbelievable. She studied with ice cream experts in New York and a gelato maker in Italy. She'll be on with us shortly to hear about uh, her, her newest store on Capitol Hill and all the ice creams that I can't eat because I'm getting fat. And also, we'll be talking with Allison Lane from Bartenders Against Racism. She's going to give us a PSA for voting this week. But first, let's go to Mitch Berliner, Central Farm Markets. Hey, Mitch, what's at market? Good morning, everybody. It's fall balooza. Fall balooza. We've got yeah. pears, Asian pears, many kinds of ciders, at least 15 varieties of apples. Got all kinds of squash, delicata, my personal favorite. We've got like these little baby acorns, baby butternut squashes. We've got plenty of greens, salads. We've got a terrific selection. And of course, because so many of our farmers uh, do have greenhouses, we still have tomatoes and green beans and peppers. And we even have ground cherries today, which are very unusual. Wow. So Thanksgiving is coming up and people do need to get their orders in. What are you recommending for people to do to get ahead of the game for this season? Get on the phone or on your computer. Better to do it that way and okay. get those orders in because this is not industrialized meat here, folks. Mm -hmm. Everybody raises a certain amount. I'm being totally serious. So please put your orders in as soon as possible. Uh, we've got Springfield Farms. I spoke to them this morning. They still have some turkeys for order. We also have, if you don't want to do it yourself, we have our own pit master, Josh Karen, um, mm. who is doing whole smoked turkeys and smoked turkey breasts. If you're not oh, having 40 good. people. Yeah, that sounds so, Mitch, is there yeah, a cut off date? In. Is there and a cut off date? We're going to have a lot of sides. So go to our website in the next couple of weeks and you can get your entire dinner with uh from desserts to turkey cheese start with cheeses salamis the whole deal 
All right. That'd be great. All right. Tell everybody where they can find you, Mitch. Please come and visit all three locations at Central Farm Markets. We're at the Northern Virginia location on the parking lot of the Church of the Holy Comforter. And that's in Vienna, Virginia. That's open year round. We have our Pike Central Market, which will be open till uh, the Saturday before Christmas. That's in Pike and Rose at the parking lot of REI. And then we have our year round flagship Bethesda Farm Market on the parking lot of Bethesda Elementary School. We thank you for your support. CentralFarmMarkets.com. Good boy. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you so much. Be safe. Stay warm out there. Okay, Allison, Allison Lane came on our show over the summer, uh, and she is behind Bartenders Against Racism. It's an incredible campaign that she has put together with events and ways to raise funds and raise uh, awareness. And Bartenders Against Racism has now launched Hydrate the Vote. Allison, tell people what you're doing and how we can get involved. Involved. Well, good morning, David and Nikki. How are we doing? We're good. We're great. How are you doing? I'm, you know, I'm doing. <laughs> I'm doing. Uh, there's a lot going on with this election, so I'm busy, but I'm I'm in pretty good spirits, and I'm really grateful you guys have me on the show this morning. Great. So tell us about Hydrate the Vote, what it is, and how people can participate. So Hydrate the Vote is an offshoot of what we were doing this summer, which was supply tending. What we do at Partisans Against Racism is try our best to amplify black and brown voices in Washington, D.C. through service. Most of us are bartenders. I am a bartender in Washington, D.C. Uh, so we're just doing what we do through service. And, that, and Hydrate the Vote is simply doing what we do is giving out food and water to voters uh, during this very critical election. But how are you doing that? How are you making that happen? It's pretty simple. So we're going to show up with cases of water. Um, we're seeing ourselves, I wouldn't say cheerleaders for what's about to happen on Tuesday, because we do anticipate these lines are going to be pretty long here in D.C., Virginia, and Maryland. Um, mm -hmm. I have a team about a 100 volunteers at six locations. Uh, we're giving out food and beverage to voters from 10 to 4 mm. on Tuesday. Okay, that's amazing. And how can we, the layperson, help? Do you need more volunteers? Do you need donations? Do you need money? What What can we do to help out? So if you go to our website, bartendersagainstracism.com, uh, there is a link for hashtag hydrate the vote. Um, if you can uh, send us money uh, via our PayPal, paypal.me backslash tip the bar. Um, mm -hmm. If you would like to make a donation to one of the polling places, we will be serving wards five, seven, and eight in Washington, D.C., specifically at Blue High School uh, in Virginia will be at the Arlington Arts Center, and Maryland will be at the Cedar Heights Community Center. Mm -hmm. Ward five will be at the UDC campus, uh, and Ward one, we will be at Maria Reed Elementary School. So we will Great. be there from 10 to 10 to 4 on, my, our, on Tuesday. Excellent. So you're going to have all your volunteers stocked with water and snacks and sanitizers. Everybody will be masked and safe. Masked up, Good. sanitized from head to toe. Good. <laughs> all right, Allison, just quickly, give everybody the um, website one more time. And thank you for what you're doing. This is such an incredible initiative, and it's such a good way to make sure while people are standing on lines, if they haven't voted already, you know, a way to make sure that they're healthy and safe. Yeah. You got to stay in those lines. This is a very important vote. So please follow Bartenders Against Racism, uh, bartendersagainstracism.com and Bartenders Against Racism on Instagram. Excellent. Thanks for joining us this morning, Allison. And thanks for all the hard work you're doing. It's a Thank you so much. Have a good day, y'all. All right. So let's talk 
Baked goods. Great baked goods. Great success. Uh, joining us, as I mentioned earlier in the show, is Umber Ahmad. She's the owner and founder of Mazadar Bakery that's in Manhattan and also now in D.C. And uh, Umber, how do you, I mean, your, your, your change in life and change in, in work culture must mm -hmm. have been mind-blowing. I mean, it's, it almost, it sounds from your bio that it almost happened overnight, but one minute you're a financial consultant and the next minute you're a celebrated baker. Tell us about that. My goodness. Well, I think it was a moment where I decided to become my own client. Um, I had been an investment banker and a private equity investor for many years, helping other people realize their dreams and create legacies for themselves. And when this opportunity presented itself for me to be able to kind of do what I love, I had a chance to turn my passion into my profession. Um, and I actually do more financial analysis now running my own business than I did as an investment banker. So I didn't really leave my old role behind. I just got to make it a little bit sweeter. Uh, now that's called enlightened self-interest, right? Uh, yeah, that's a good word for it. <laughs> <laughs> but your background, I mean, your background created a very interesting sort of approach to bakery. Your family originally was from Pakistan. Uh, you're raised in Marquette, Michigan, and you had yeah. a Finnish nanny that, yeah. that, you know, that baked with you. So you've got a lot of uh, international influences going there. We really do. I feel very grateful to be, I think, one of sort of the, the original global citizens. You know, my family is from Pakistan, and we grew up in an area of the country that was all um, Scandinavian and Polish immigrants. So everyone was blonde. Um, except for my family and um, two other families. So everybody thought that we were black growing up as kids. And um, they used to even ask us to break dance because we were the darkest people they'd ever seen. Um, and they would always think that we were one of the Jacksons. And so I'm, I'm so offended for you. I can't even. I call, I call that pa passive racism. Yes, <laughs> as it turns out. Uh, you know, and every summer, my family would go to Pakistan for two months and then my parents would pick another country around the world and we would go and live there. And mm. we would learn about the culture and the people and the history through the food. And that was one of the ways that uh, we basically created a, a global universal language for ourselves, where we would find the commonality between cultures and countries by the ingredients that they used. So, you know, we put cardamom in our tea and my Finnish nanny would put cardamom in her bread. And all of a sudden we tasted the same. And we used to do that. My parents would play that game with us where they would have us find a flavor that was familiar in something that was new. So the saffron in the paella in Spain tasted like the breakfast bread we'd have in Sweden. And the mole in Mexico tasted like the chocolate in Switzerland. So that's kind of how I started baking was like, how do I combine these flavors and these travels and these experiences and get to share them with other people? Uh, so... I mean, it's so fascinating. That's such an amazing story. But you launch your bakery in New York. Why come to D.C.? D.C. has always been sort of a dream city for me. Um, it is, um, a, it's a culture that brings together a lot of different people with a lot of different motivations and different origins, um, very much like our food. So it was a sort of a kind of a, a sort of a natural expression and extension of who we are. Uh, my best friend for 20 years, Jason Berry, is the co-founder of Mead Hospitality and Design that has a number of restaurants in um, the D.C. area. We know him well. Yes. Jason and his partner, Michael, are absolutely fantastic restaurateurs, um, and they live and breathe hospitality in a way that I've never seen in any other people. And, um, you know, Jason and I have been friends for a long time, and we'd always talked about wanting to do something together. And then the opportunity presented itself on the Capitol Riverfront for us to build both a bakery and a restaurant together. Um, and it just was the right 
sort of move for us to be able to introduce ourselves into the DC community? So tell me, I mean, I love that. I mean, they're amazing people. They do great work um, at Need Hospitality. What can people expect to find as far as your bakery? Like, cause you're doing desserts for the Gatsby, but what, what can we see from the bakery? That's a great question. So what you'll see from the bakery is a combination of two things. One is sort of our best hits. I always feel like opening a new location is kind of like going on a first date. So you want to put on your best black dress and you want to look as hot as possible. So we've got our best black dress. We have all of our very popular items like our brioche donuts, our cheesecake, cinnamon rolls, things like that. And then we hope to also start to introduce exclusive items for the DMV community. Uh, so things that speak to people in D.C. Um, or that might tell sort of a, a D.C. story um, and have to and, and have the opportunity to be able to introduce those items as well. Um, getting okay. into the holiday. Sorry, Wait, go ahead. Before you go there, we're going to have to take a quick break, but we're going to come back. David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Umber Ahmad, who is the genius behind Mazadar Bakery, which is, uh, it's got... Um, well, how can I put this? Got all of New York on a sugar high, and now she's opened up in the Capitol Riverfront to do that to us, which is okay <laughs> with me. Uh, Umber, but before we get back into the nitty gritty, tell us what Mazadar means. It's Urdu. I, I read that, but what does it mean? So it's a word in the Urdu language, which is a language we speak in Pakistan. And it's a word we use to describe the magic or the essence that makes something special. So it's kind of that intangible. It's almost like the je ne sais quoi. It's what you fall in love with. It's what you connect to. And it's ultimately what brings you back. So we use it to describe food. We also use it to describe people. So maybe it was the first time that you met Nisi and you looked and said, you know, there's something about her. I don't know what it is, but there's a magic. There's an intangible and I'm falling in love with it. And there's, well, a there's definitely there. something about her. That's for sure. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> and so let's talk about uh, for you. So you're going to be doing desserts at the at Gatsby. Yes. Um, what will the... How will that look? What would plated look like versus picking up at the bakery? That's a great question. So plated versus picking up at the bakery really just is an opportunity to have us expand the expression of our flavors. So uh, we are going to take a combination of some of our classic desserts um, within the bakery and kind of amp them up a little bit, if you will. So a great example of that is we have um, a gorgeous dark chocolate brownie with Falrana cocoa um, that we sell as a standalone brownie in the bakery. And in the uh, restaurant, it will uh, take the form of a warm brownie with um, house-made ice cream and maybe some house-made brittle and toffee sauce on top of it. Um, so sort of like, expanded expression. So we'll do our, our heavenly cheesecake um, and we'll do some creme anglaise and some fruit compote and things like that with it. So sort of a modern American diner, elevated, sort of really comfort experience. It sounds delicious. And what are you doing for the holidays? Oh my goodness. Holidays are our favorite season. We mm -hmm. absolutely love it. And also we love the fact that as it gets colder, people put on more clothes and they eat more. In the summer, <laughs> if you're in a sundress, you're having an, in a diet iced tea. And in the winter, you're like, I'm having a brownie and a latte. So we love that. Uh, right. For Thanksgiving, we're doing three different pies. We're doing a gorgeous pumpkin pie, a pecan pie, and an apple crumble pie with a really lovely brown butter streusel. Um, we're also doing fun holiday things. So we're going to be doing a Stollen, which is traditional German bread with marzipan and brandy soaked cherries. We're doing um, a panettone, which I'm obsessed with because it's filled with cocoa and hazelnuts and almonds and just, oh my gosh, it's so, so, so lovely. So you don't do the panettone with the candied fruit, right? 
So we do some candied fruit in there, but we're a little bit heavier on the nuts and um, a little bit of the chocolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lived in Italy for a while. Trust me, candy. The, the nuts are better. The candy fruit is like. I don't know, but, <laughs> yeah. but there are purists out there. My <laughs> no. dad's a purist. He loves oh. the like original. Okay. Yeah. Well, I always, you know, I always challenge everybody who loves something original to try what we do because we don't ever stray that far from the original intent. Uh, but the flavors themselves are really quite beautiful. And we're also okay. doing um, a kit to make your own gingerbread house, which oh, is going to be lots of fun. It'd be a really fun thing for people to do, especially if they're squirreled away at home and they can't get to their relatives. Right. Um, okay, we have to wrap up. We've got to wrap, but I, we do want to mention that on uh, election day, uh, when once you uh, you voted, you can go down to Mazadar, and if you have your I voted sticker, you can get a free chocolate chip cookie. Although yes. according to Trump, people are going to be voting lots of times. So you can go home with a, a suitcase full of cookies. Right? I mean, you could get you could clean us out of the bakery if he had yeah. his way. All right, I'm on that. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today. We can't wait to get a taste of everything you're doing. And um, up next, we have Chef Paul Yellen. Well, we don't always often use the word renowned, but it certainly applies to our next guest. Renowned Chef Paul Yellen, who's also known as the Rum Chef, is widely known for being the owner and head chef at Cane Rum Bar in Charleston. Uh, Now he's moving up to D.C. He's got a new restaurant that will be opening up. And he joins us now on Foodie and the Beast. Chef, how are you? Great. Good morning. Thank you. I just want to say, we're in D.C. You were in Charleston, but you're calling us from Florida, which really makes me jealous. I know. Not all it seems. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, so tell us a little bit about your your culinary history. Well, I, I grew up in the Caribbean. I grew up in Barbados. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my rum drinking started there. <laughs> um, it's, in the bottle. it's in the bottle. <laughs> yes, it is. It is in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I traveled, I traveled around the world working and I always took, you know, my love of rum with me. And, um, basically a friend of mine, uh, Joffrey, who worked with Mount Gay at the time proposed mm-hmm. that I, I do some recipes for him for a project and that turned into a cookbook with Mount Gay Rum hmm. which is the oldest okay. rum company. I feel like you 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 breezed over like when did you start cooking and where did you start cooking and what kind of food were you cooking like how did that part happen? I, I mean I'm I'm trained in kitchens all over the place so I started in in a hotel in Barbados Sandy Lane okay. Hotel and I was a, a bartender before that but I, I really always loved cooking. And I got a job at Sandy Lane Hotel. And after about eight months, I, I passed a restaurant um, on my way to work one day. And I, I just, I loved how it looked. I loved the, the theme and the menu. And I walked in one day and, and met the chef and, and said basically like, are you still hiring? And he said, well, come tomorrow. And I, I literally did. I, I showed up the next day and, and started working with him. And we are still friends to this day. So was your focus more, so at the hotel, I assume it was, you know, continental cuisine, but at that restaurant, was it more uh, Caribbean based? It was Mediterranean hmm. style with a Caribbean flair. Mm-hmm. Like the use of Caribbean products. Yes, so Caribbean flavors, but but a very a very Mediterranean, healthy cooking, um, lots of seafood, lots of grilling, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was it was tourist based, uh, so it was it was upscale definitely. But I learned more in that kitchen than I've learned probably anywhere else. Every every place after Olives was uh, was what not to do. So when you came to the states, where'd you come first? Um, well, I came to go to school. I, I came to go to college, and I, I pretty much dropped out of college and decided I wanted to be a chef. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was working. Um, I did a little internship, and he he proposed that instead of going to school, that I just start working. Mm-hmm. You know, just just go in and, and start cooking rather than pay to learn something that people would pay me and teach me. Right. So is this in Charleston or somewhere else? I'm sorry? Is this in Charleston or somewhere else? Oh, no, everywhere. I I went, you know, I was in New York. I went to London. And then from London, I went back to the Caribbean. And I worked there for a bit. And uh, the chef that I worked with at Sandy Lane Hotel, first hotel, um, you know, he, he had an opportunity for me. So I went to Germany. I went to Berlin. So, so how I was in Berlin. Up, I guess what we're trying to get to is how did you wind up with your own restaurant in Charleston? In Charleston. In Charleston. Well, um, I lived in DC for mm-hmm. for a while. Um, I was the executive chef at a resort in St. Lucia. That's for terrible. four years. Four years. Uh, <laughs> my village. <laughs> uh, and um, I was dating. A girl from Barbados, mm-hmm. and we we had this little. It's the next island over. So every other weekend, or every every three week, third weekend, we would we would get together. I would go to Barbados, or she would come to Saint Lucia, and uh, she she told me that she was leaving. She was going to D.C. Um, to you know pursue her career, and after about eight months of that, um, I decided that I was going to follow her. So I went to D.C. And I was I was working doing catering in DC, and uh, I met I met a group of guys um, who you know we we I had already had the cookbook at this time the Mount Gay Rum cookbook, and we discussed this this opportunity. And I said I'd really love to do this rum focused you know Caribbean cuisine bar, and we started putting together plans and and you know we we had stuff going. We were trying to raise some money and. Due to one thing or another, we all we all went our separate ways. Mm-hmm. Um, my my girlfriend, who who I married, mm-hmm. and and I'm still married to, um, she is was a doctor. She's a physician, and she got an opportunity in New York at Sloan Kettering mm-hmm. to do a program there. So I kind of I was the first one to leave leave the group and leave the area because okay. you know this opportunity was was great okay, for her. So, um, chef, I don't mean to interrupt you, but. We only have like four minutes left, and okay. as Take much as I'm, I'm trying to figure out how this restaurant I'm finally sorry. opened, and then how you are opening it here in DC. Got it. Okay. We went to Charleston. We went to Charleston to work, and in the first couple of months, I realized a very, very strong Caribbean connection in Charleston. Sure. And um, and due to many things, including pricing, um, I could not afford to do anything in New York. <laughs> So Charleston actually gave me an opportunity to, to open this bar. I was able to raise enough money and borrow some money, and I ha- had a great shot. And after 10 years of talking about it, I decided to go for it. 
So the um, bar, so tell us for people who haven't been and hopefully will be going soon to the new one, what is it? Like, what is the experience that's there? How many rums do you have? And what kind of cocktails are we looking at? And what is the food like? Right, we, um, we are a rum focused bar. As a chef, I thought I was opening a, a restaurant that served rum, but I, I really opened a rum bar that serves food. So it's Caribbean tapas. It's small plates uh, built around things to eat while you drink rum. So of course we have classic cocktails, but, but it really is, we've gone out, we've expanded the, the range of drinks to, to great, great tropical cocktails. Mm-hmm. So, so the food, for, like, so for people who, you know, sort of confuse Caribbean cocktails with sort of tiki, it's not all juices, right? There's a real cleanness to. Of course, of course, food, absolutely. Right? A lot of a lot of our well, everything we use is fresh. We don't we don't buy juices. We squeeze all of our own juices every day. And and you know, no offense to tiki, tiki is is not a real concept it is a a polynesian style with caribbean drinks right right that, that was no, a concept which, i don't like tiki which, at all which gets confusing it. after one drink yeah. I think. It, it, it does it does and, and listen a lot of my friends have tiki bars and i love them and i love i love what they're doing but i'm doing a caribbean focus mm-hmm. so not just barbados but pan caribbean can we cut, yeah let's cut to dc and when first of all do you know when you're opening very soon <laughs> we're we're going to be open <laughs> well i mean the delays the delays are not all our fault at this point you know we've had multiple government issues because they're closed with COVID. um licensing issues we we've tried to arrange a, a health inspection for for two months now and we can't get anyone to give us a date even longer so what's the location it is uh, 2827 Sherman Avenue. So it's, it's right between um, uh, Georgia Avenue and Columbia Heights. It's in oh, Pet- area. It's a good location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you just tell us, do you have a website and a handle? Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the Instagram page is DRUMSPOT, D-E-R-H-U-M-S-P-O-T, DRUMSPOT. Facebook page is coming online and the website should be up any day now. Excellent. We'll keep everybody posted. Thank you so much for joining we'll us. We'll be there for some rum. This awesome. is Dean Ellis with Foodie and the Beast. We were just in the Caribbean and next we're going for barbecue. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast. And uh, this is my turn because we're talking about my favorite subject, which is ribs, barbecue, all of that. Drew Darneal is with us. He's an award-winning pit master. And he owns Smokecraft Modern Barbecue in Clarendon. He's an award-winning pitmaster, and the restaurant is an award winner. And all I can wait is another second to hear from Drew. Drew, you know, I was asking you during the break, like, how does somebody end up barbecuing? You just love to do it, and then what happens? You know, it's I've I grew up loving food. I've always I've been in restaurants since I was 18, and uh, I've always considered myself a guy who liked to grill in the backyard. Ribs and chicken were my thing, and um, when I had an opportunity um, about five, six years ago uh, to make a move in my career to a barbecue restaurant, uh, that's really when things took over. Um, and I started looking at kind of trophies on the wall and I said, how do, how do we get more of those? And uh, I started competing and uh, went out, uh, spent a lot of money and said, hey, I can do this. Our food's really good. 
and I finished second to last in my very first competition. And but how did you learn how to do that? Like, what? It, it's such a culture. Like, mm -hmm. how did you get into it and figure out what you needed to do to win? Well, over time, it took practice. I mean, I, I, I listened. The one thing that I love about barbecue is the community and the community around you. And everybody wants to see everyone else succeed. Everyone's so friendly. They're willing to talk, share, include everybody in what they're doing. And, you know, <clears throat> the first few competitions, I mean, they did not go well. I mean, the first year was a really rough road out there. And um, one of those things is frustrating. You sit there and like, man, should I keep spending money doing this or not? <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm a really competitive guy and I really wanted to take the time to learn. I took a couple classes. Um, I, I went down and I, I learned from Tuffy Stone, um, who's, you know, a huge um, seven-time world champion, you know, barbecue pit masters. Um, I spent time with him. I went um, down to Memphis in May and had an unbelievable experience cooking down there with the, with the team. Um, and, and I just kept at it and started understanding kind of what we were beginning to look for. And I think one of the biggest things in competition barbecue is you begin to realize very quickly is that the judges are looking for something very specific. They're not unlike, you know, what you and I would have thought of showing up to a barbecue competition um, where all kinds of different creative things come in and, and your normal kind of food competition where two has the most creative, exciting dish competition barbecue wants something very very specific so you start using commercial rubs you start using commercial sauces you start trying to uh, bring these things together because uh it's a game of inches i mean a tenth of a point can separate you from the top five to the top 30 and it's it's you have to be perfect so um it's something i just over time i, I started getting really good at it and um last year i had the time and opportunity to do 30 events and um, we went on a tear and um, we ended up with over 70 top 10 finishes last year. We were 15th in the world in pork when it was all said and done, um, third in the mid-Atlantic. And, uh, yeah, we had a great time doing it and learned a lot. And uh, now we just keep trying to raise the bar and keep getting out there when we can. But now, you know, we're in the restaurant and uh, the restaurant is the priority. Um, but what I try to do in the restaurant is take a lot of those tips and tricks, focusing on, you know, tenderness. Um, and not abusing smoke to, to make sure that our food is great every day. So let's talk about the restaurant. Uh, where are you and what's the menu like? Like what can people expect there? Sure, well, our restaurant's located in Clarendon, a block from the Clarendon Metro stop. Um, and uh, Smokecraft Modern Barbecue, um, we call it Modern Barbecue because uh, our style of barbecue we define as continuing to evolve what uh, barbecue is and can be. Um, what that means is that it gives us the opportunity to um, try different regionalities, different styles, uh, bring different flavors together. Um, and really the only rules we have about our food is everything is, has to be touched by fire or smoke. That brings you into the realm of barbecue. So of course we have our core barbecue that uh, we do so well with, chicken ribs, pork, brisket, turkey, sausage. But we've also expanded our menu to include items uh, that you won't find on an everyday barbecue menu, things like our smoked spaghetti squash, our cedar plank salmon, a reverse seared mm. tri-tip. Um, we do pork belly burn ends instead of brisket burn ends. We do smoked avocado deviled eggs. Um, we have a grilled peach and prosciutto crostini right now. Um, so there's a lot of fun, creative things where we're trying to basically elevate barbecue and take some of those um, you know, a lot of times when you buy cookbooks, you see all these really cool dishes that you never find out at a restaurant. 
we were right. taking some of those concepts, ideas, and, and, and bringing them into a restaurant setting so you can try something that's going to stand out. So, Drew, let me ask a question. Um, how are you handling COVID? I, mean, I can see behind you the dining room, which is really beautiful, by yeah, the way. Yeah, but that's a screen. Oh, that's a screen. <laughs> oh, and, in any I event. I figured that out. In, in, any, yeah. <laughs> in any event. Um, how are you had? Do you have outdoor dining uh, now? Do you have? Is it just spaced out inside? How are you doing it? You know, since we we opened right in the middle of the pandemic, and so from day one, it has been very important to me um, and my team to make sure we're maintaining a safe dining environment for our guests and our staff. Um, we understand the severity of the situation we're faced with, but also the impacts uh, and comfort level that guests have to have to come dine with us. Um, so we've taken um, the guidelines provided by Virginia and the CDC very seriously. Um, inside, our dining room is spaced out, um, measured out every day, so they're at least six feet between the backs of chairs, between tables. Um, so we're operating at a 50% indoor dining capacity. Um, we have a beautiful 35-foot bar that we have not allowed anyone to order from or sit at since we opened, which is killing me. Setting. And outside seating, um, we have 38 seats outside. Our neighbors next door were kind enough to sign a waiver to allow us to expand our patio uh, to get as many seats as we can. Again, with six feet of separation. Um, as we head into winter, um, our landlord has been uh, fantastic in working with us and they're installing electric heaters on the side of the building for us next week to try and keep our patio open as long as possible. Um, we recognize guests prefer to dine outside um, and do our best to accommodate that as best we can. We have blankets for guests to kind of wrap themselves with um, that they can take home afterwards um, so they're not being reused by their guests. Um, but we're doing it and we take temperatures at the door. Um, we have contactless payments. We have contactless menus. We have menus up on our projectors of people. You're taking it very you're seriously. It seriously. Yeah, super seriously. But so when people come in to order, you know, when you go to a barbecue place, there's some, if you're not a barbecue pit master like yourself, you know, knowing all the different varietals, you know, North Carolina, Kansas, you know. Wet what, brisket, dry brisket, like what, all that. How does that, how do you interpret all of that? And do you let people make their own choices or are you like, no, this is how you should eat it? Well, our menu allows uh, guests to pick and choose options. We have combo platters and they're definitely the most popular item on our menu. Um, I mean, our, our staff obviously all have their own favorites um, and what we sell, I mean, things that are really popular on menu right now are our brisket, um, our smoked sausage, our, our sliced pork belly, our chicken, um, and obviously our pork, which we've won the most awards with. Um, mm -hmm. So we, I mean, it's, it's, we're not, we are set up as a full service restaurant. We're not set up as a Texas style place where there's a cutting board that people can come see. I mean, we are a full sit down restaurant uh, with a menu in front of you. Um, so our staff uh, will help guide our guests through the menu and, and, you know, the combos and the options really give our guests the best opportunity to try everything. And you guys are doing a huge Thanksgiving promo. We are. I mean, the Thanksgiving and turkeys, um, smoked turkeys, we're turkey smoke grand champions. Uh, we were at the giant national capital barbecue battle a couple of years ago and turkey is something we do really well. And um, we're really excited to be able to offer, you know, a giant Thanksgiving feast. I think that, you know, turkeys, smoked turkeys are a really great holiday item, but we're going beyond that as well. We have smoked hams, we have smoked prime rib, um, we have briskets available. Um, and basically it's a giant a la carte, build your own menu, everything from, you know, a small group to a large gathering. I suspect this year we'll see a lot of small groups. And so it's designed to allow you to build um, what exactly you want. Um, so uh, I really am excited about the, the Thanksgiving menu and what we're putting together. Um, so let me ask you, one of the things we didn't ask is where are you doing all the smoking? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, um, our, our space in Clarendon is in a commercial office building. So uh, we do have our smokers built into our kitchen. Um, we're using a pair of Southern Pride uh, commercial gas assist smokers, um, which are fully enclosed. Um, so that's right in our kitchen. We do it there fresh every day. Um, I have two gas smokers and I have two electric box smokers where I do uh, a lot of our more special things and uh, vegetables, cheeses, and other things that we smoke. So um, it's all done on site, fresh every day, um, trying to you know provide the best food possible. Okay, so I know you're leaving to go to the ZOMBQ, ZOMBQ. Just got back, got, just got back late last night. Um, wow, did you yeah. win? Uh, we finished seventh in ribs. Um, okay. We'll take that. Um, I thought our food was great. Uh, the Nightmare Before Zombie Q is down in Southwest Virginia. Um, mm -hmm. This weekend, the KCBS, the Kansas City Barbecue Society, who is the largest sanctioning body of barbecue competition in the country, their calendar year for competitions ends on October 31st. So okay. this, is, this event brought 17 of the top 25 teams in the world, including seven of the top 10 who are vying for team of the year points. The teams that have been able to compete, a lot of the guys from the Midwest came out um and i haven't competed since june um when we were reserve grand champions out in new york pennsylvania and uh we <laughs> just getting there was a challenge you know leaving the restaurant and rushing out the door but we had a really good cook i was really happy with our food um we finished seventh in ribs 18th overall um 13th in brisket really appreciate you coming on today tell everybody where they can find smokecraft modern barbecue yeah, we're at 1051 North Highland Street in Arlington, Virginia, a block from the Clarendon Metro stop. And uh, just look for the giant neon sign out front. And uh, we can't wait. Excellent. To Thanks for joining us this morning. So now we went from one of my favorite topics, ribs, to my other favorite topic, ice cream. Uh, Susan Serenko is, um, I, I, you're the queen of local ice cream as far oh, as I'm concerned. Thank you. What a nice thing to say. They have four locations in the DC area. And uh, Susan, I have to say, we want to talk about your background because I don't know a lot of people that went to uh, study with a gelato master in Italy and you know, and an ice cream maven in New York or where. <laughs> Tell us the whole story. Why ice cream in the first place? Uh, well, it was, I, hmm. Hmm. It, was, it was kind of an accident. Um, it wasn't anything that I dreamt of you know, uh, it wasn't that I spent years longing to be an ice cream maker, but um, my sons and I went on vacation. Please don't ask me where, because I won't tell you. Okay. Um, and this was before the time when everybody was making ice cream, when, you know, ice cream became the new macrame eventually. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we had this amazing ice cream. It was the first time we'd ever tasted an ice cream that was higher than what is normal, which is usually 12 to 14% milk fat. I know where you were, you were in Italy. <laughs> no, I wasn't. What? I wasn't. That's okay, let's not we go can, on We can go on with that. You can, you can believe that if you want, that's okay. okay. <laughs> um, and my kids and I were just knocked out by it. The flavors were wonderful. The texture was wonderful. The fact that it had very little air whipped into it was different than anything we had ever experienced. And my sons, who were very young at the time, they're now married men, uh, said to me, Mom, you should figure out how to bring this back to Virginia. And now if you ask them, they will say they meant a quart. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had- you know, but On that note, we have to take a quick break. So why don't sure. we stop there and then we'll come back and we'll figure out uh, 
not where you tasted this ice cream, but how you launched your own business and became so successful. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's getting super sweet in studio. Um, we'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Susan Serenko, who is the maestro of Murenko's ice cream. Um, her ice cream is so good. It's the only ice cream that's been sold on QVC in the past 20 years. That's how good it is. So Susan, you were giving us the background on how you got into this in the first place. So you came back from this trip with your kids and you decided, I want to make my own ice cream. Yeah, I decided, you know, how hard could it be? And now I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah but how do you go from just making your own ice cream, like to satiate your own taste to deciding you want to sell it? Um, I kind of skipped that step. Okay. I just went right into, I lived, I was living in McLean at the time. There was no ice cream store in McLean. And I just thought, well, if I could pull this off, this would be a great place for my kids to come after school and hang out with their friends. And I could keep an eye on them without them knowing, okay. uh, you know, and it just seemed like a wonderful thing to bring to the community. Um, so it was just basically one terrified step at a time mm -hmm. until I had a store there. Okay, so how did you figure out how to make all this ice cream? And what, what were you looking for? What did you want to do? And how did you, I mean, as an entrepreneur, how did you create it and make it all happen? So what I wanted was a high milk fat, basically an ultra premium, low overrun, little bit of air, all natural product. That's what I was trying to make because I was looking at what I wanted to feed my kids, mm -hmm. you know, to keep it as clean as I could and to make it different than what you could buy in the supermarket or what you could buy at any other store. Mm -hmm. So I went to Ice Cream University, mm -hmm. um, which at the time was in Tarrytown, New York. And I studied with someone who's been in the ice cream business for decades and uh, learned how to use the equipment. And then when it was time to create my recipes, I worked with my teacher mm -hmm. to create what I was looking for, which was which was um, familiar flavors with a little bit of a twist. Mm -hmm. So not so crazy that you wouldn't, you wouldn't order a bowl of it or you would only order it once, but just enough to keep people going, oh, that might be interesting. And so that you know, evolved into our honey lavender ice cream, which we've been making for the entire time that we've been in business, our fresh ginger ice cream. Um, we do make the traditional mint chocolate chip, but we also have a white chocolate mint that you know, it's just a spin on things. So and when you talk about air, I don't think, you know, people who didn't go to ice cream university right. really know what that means. So is, you know, I think we all think of air and ice cream, meaning that it's going to be super whipped, whipped but that's not actually the case, right? Well, it can be the case. Most, most um, traditional market brands mm -hmm. um, are, 100 to 120% overrun. Overrun means the amount of air that's whipped into a product. Mm -hmm. So that's just to increase volume? Yes. Okay. Well, it, yes, pr primarily it increases volume. It's actually where the profit is in ice cream, mm -hmm. is the amount of air that's whipped into it. So the less air, the more ice cream, the denser the product. And, um, but it's also what makes it scoopable because if you don't churn it, if you don't whip air into it, all you do when you, you know, you just go clink, clink, clink when you when you hit it with a with a scooper. Mm -hmm. So um, the lower the overrun, the more ice cream the customer is getting. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, if an ice cream is 100 to 120% overrun, that means that it it that the volume of the ingredients is at least doubled, if not more. Meaning that if you pull a, a package off the shelf in the supermarket, half of what you're paying for in that container is going to be air. Does that make nice. sense? Yes, absolutely. Got really. Well, air was free. <laughs> not here. <laughs> Um, so, okay, so you, you started making your ice creams. Just walk us through the next couple steps because now you have one, two, three, you have four locations? Right. So did you go with locations first? Because I know I can buy your ice cream in area stores too. Correct, yeah. So we started with the, the one shop in McLean. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time, nobody was doing local artisanal ice cream. I was sure. the only one. And so... From that little shop, we started getting um, inquiries from local restaurants. Mm -hmm. Like, can you make us this flavor? And you know, we always said yes, and then figured out how to do it afterwards. But um, you probably thought at the time, I mean, since that was not your goal initially, like what an incredible stream of revenue, like what, a, what an extra that you probably didn't consider. I wouldn't have considered that. Yeah, no, it, it, precisely. It was like the serendipity of it because <laughs> my original, plan in my in my uninformed brain was I'm gonna have six stores and then I'll retire okay and then I realized <laughs> that sounds really good <laughs> yeah yeah and here I am all these years later right mm -hmm. um and then I learned how challenging it is to have one store mm. um so we so we were manufacturing everything out of that little shop in McLean and we had one by one, a bunch of restaurants. And then, and then um, Whole Foods came to us, just one store. Mm -hmm. We thought, this is it. We have, we've, we've made it. Right. So we went from one Whole Foods to three Whole Foods to 16. And then we got into the entire region and then Giant came to us. So we had all of that going on, which was terrific. And 2008, the whole world fell apart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything yeah. fell apart. I closed the shop in McLean. Mm -hmm. And I moved my operation into uh, an already existing ice cream factory in Maryland. It was at that time owned by Giffords. Oh, sure. Mm. And they, you know, they just sort of rented me a little corner for my little machine while I rebuild my life. And mm -hmm. eventually they left and we took over that factory. Wow. I, I'm compressing everything. I mean, there are many. No, I know. Well, we only got five minutes left. So we, you know, there's only so much time. Right. So anyway, on and on and on. And um, we did the big supermarket route and decided in the end that that was not a good way to, to make a profit. And so now we're back to the brick and mortar mm -hmm. uh, model because of what's going on in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. This time with COVID, all, we, we had 200 restaurants. We had a bunch of hotels, all the Marriott's, blah, blah, blah. All that's gone. Right. Um, yeah, so now we have the four shops and we're hoping for the best. Right, so where are all these shops? So our, our, um, our oldest shop is uh, on Georgia Avenue in South Silver Spring. Mm -hmm. And then we have a sweet little tiny jewel box of a shop uh, on Main Street in Ellicott City. Mm -hmm. We have the main kiosk on the main floor at Montgomery Mall. Mm -hmm. and not our a most bad spot. No. I'm sorry? That's not a bad spot. Uh, yes, as long as people come to the mall, it is right, right. Exactly. We're right next to the, the Lego shop. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. and, then we, and then we just opened uh, on um, 7th Street Southeast, right around the corner from Eastern Market. 
So oh, that's true. I've got a question for you. We only have a couple minutes left, but what happens in the winter with with when you have a brick and mortar with ice cream sales? I mean, I love ice cream year round, but I um, mean, you, know, you know, when it's hot out and people are queued up in their shorts and all that, it's one thing. What happens in the winter? It's very challenging. Mm. Um, it's very challenging. You have to look for, especially now that people can't even really sit down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, this is the first year that we're dealing with that dynamic, but we, um, we just put in a phenomenal full coffee service at the Capitol Hill shop. Right. And uh, literally this week, and I'm going to keep an eye on that. And if it goes well, we'll put it in all the other shops. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, hopefully people will come in and we'll be doing fresh baked cookies in uh, Capitol Hill. So, you know, basically you sell everything you can. Right, of course. And what are the big flavors for you during this season? Like what, do you bring back flavors from the past? Like given that it's like pumpkin spicy season, like what do you like to do this at this time of year? So this time of year, it's the, it's the earthier flavors, of course, pumpkin, peppermint stick, but the caramels do really well this time of year. Mm -hmm. um, we have a ginger snap that's sort of, you know, got that really all those holiday spices in them. We're mm -hmm. doing eggnog, of course. Um, our cinnamon and our cinnamon cappuccino do really well. The chocolates do well during this time of year as well, because that, you know, the chemicals in chocolate help you feel better about Everything. shorter days. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Susan, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. And it's um, really exciting that you're able to uh, survive during these troubled times. So can you just give everybody your website or your uh, Instagram handle, please? Uh, the Instagram is Marenkos and the website is Marenkos.com. Excellent. Thanks for joining us today. And we want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. It was another terrific show of Foodie and the Beast live from our bedroom. Except yeah, every kind of food imaginable. Except it was recorded from our bedroom. <laughs> um, so please go check out and see what Amber Ahmad is doing at her bakery. Uh, we are on hold with Chef Paul Yellen, the rum chef, but he will be opening soon. You can check out Smokecraft Modern Barbecue, which sounds delicious. And obviously, Susan Sorenko and Marenko ice cream we ask all of you to please mask up sanitize and if you haven't yet go vote please be safe and have a delicious week <laughs>